All right, guys, welcome to episode number 59 of Beef's Beef. And today I'm on location in the state of Kentucky, in Lexington, Kentucky, with two great great people. One of them I consider my friend, one of them I hope to consider my friend after this. Uh, between these two men, they have three combined national titles, one NIT championship, nine Final Fours, 36 regular season and tournament conference championships, 10 conference coach of the years, four national coach of the years, and both are inducted into the College Basketball Hall of Fame. One of them, like I said, I consider my friend. He's a returning guest. I have Coach Denny Crum. How's it going, Denny? Well, if I say better, I'd have to be two of Joe B. <laughs> <laughs> and just like he just said, the other is a former uh, Regis University, Central Missouri State University, and more well-known for being an assistant under legendary coach Adolph Rupp and taking over as head coach at the University of Kentucky, Mr. Joe B. Hall. How's it going today? Thank you, Brandon. <clears throat> you really got off to a terrible start. <laughs> 59th episode. Yeah. And you're just now recognizing <laughs> Danny and I. Yeah. Yeah. Well, to be well, fair. Now, that, that doesn't speak very well of to, your attention. It's all right. He's, he's busy. To to be fair, I did have Coach Crum on before, so maybe I recognize greatness early. Puts me down a little further. (laughs) No, what show did you have him on? Convenience. He's in Louisville. He comes. He's Louisville. Lives in Louisville. I don't know. This doesn't seem proper to me. (laughs) But Coach, uh, actually, both of you guys, thank you so much for doing this and. I have an, another fella here. I'll introduce him at the end that has uh, befriended me, even though he found out that I'm a friend of the enemy as well. I'm not going to spoil who that is. He's sitting in here with us. But uh, just starting out, I mean, Coach, you grew up in the small town of Cynthiana, and you played basketball there and played high school basketball there. So did you grow up as a fan of the University of Kentucky? I sure did. <clears throat> I had an older brother, three and a half years older. And uh, he was a fan. And we would uh, listen on the radio in our bedroom because we'd have to go to bed early. (laughs) But I never missed a Kentucky game. And uh, we even got to the point we kept our own score sheet and kept the points. And we'd figure out who had scored the most. This was back in... uh, mid-40s, early 40s, with uh, Wilbur Shue and Jack Tingle and Jack Parkinson and T. Cole and Brewers, and really old-timers That's for a, Kentucky. So, I mean, you growing up and being a Kentucky fan, you obviously had to admire Coach Rupp. What was it like? going from your bedroom where you're listening to the games on the radio and taking your own score sheet to then saying, well, now I get to play for him. <laughs> it was unreal. And uh, Coach Rupp came one time to see uh, us play. When I was a junior, we had Kevin Barnett, Paul Hicks, who later played for, Kevin played for Trancy, Paul played at Eastern, But Rupp came himself to see us play. And in that game, 
I was eyes score. Broke my glasses at halftime, <laughs> played blind the second half, scored more points without my glasses than I did with. But after the game, I had no idea that Rupp was even there. And, uh, well, you couldn't came, you couldn't see him, so that's why you oh, didn't know he was there. <laughs> well, I wouldn't have recognized him if he'd uh, walked right in front of me. But uh, he came down the dressing room and asked to meet me. And he, I, you talking about swallowing your throat? <laughs> when I met Coach Rupp, and he was uh, just I, there was like there was a glow of light around him. When I first met him, yeah, he just was a tall, uh, sturdy guy. He, he just uh, said, "Son, you played a good game." Said, "Do you like Kentucky?" I said, "I live for Kentucky," <laughs> but that was the last I heard of him for a long time. So, when did he actually? When did he actually end up offering you, or did you walk on? Well, we had tryouts. In 47, when I graduated my high school, I went to the tryouts. There'd be 30 or 40 of us. They'd divide us up in teams. We'd scrimmage for 15, 20 minutes, and then they'd bring two more teams out. And it was legal. Kids came from all over the country. They'd come by bus, train, anything. And a lot of them were big name players that uh, wanted to come to Kentucky. Of course, when they announced the tryouts, I put my name in the bag. And they'd have Humsey Yesson, who was the manager at that time, come down after the whole scrimmages ended. And he'd read off 10 names. Well, those 10 would come back the next week and you could scrimmage. So after two or three weeks of this, they named four guys and I was one of the four. Wow. And uh, I came as a scholarship player, basically a walk-on, but I didn't get recruited. I tried out. Oh, okay. I got room, board, tuition, books, fees. Then the next year, and that year I roomed with Jim Lyon, Roger Day, Kincaid Hall. The next year I was uh, given my scholarship and played till midterm and then left and went to Regis. Yeah, so like you just mentioned, you left, uh, you played Kentucky and played one year JV and then one year varsity, then went to the University of the South, Sewanee. But after you finished your eligibility there, I actually read that you toured with the Harlem Globetrotters. And you were just, you were telling Diddy and I a story about that, about about some of that. Can you tell us about how that went? Well, it was uh, sponsored by the State Department. Lon Varnell, my coach at Suwannee, was a, uh, a advanced man for the Globetrotter. He did their uh, engagements and throughout the South. And so he talked Abe Saperstein into having this sponsorship and us tour with the Globetrotters 
and play local teams, uh, national teams, whatnot. So we toured 14 continents. We played 56 games in 58 days. I think in that time we lost two games. We lost to the Milan Italy team that already had their name on the trophy. So you can imagine <laughs> how the officiating went. And then we lost another game. I think it was Lyon, France. And we fouled out our two substitutes played with uh, four men. And uh, we lost that one. Then in Geneva, Switzerland, we played in an international tournament and beat Milan, Italy in the finals. Wow. So we won the one game back from a team <laughs> that had previously beaten it. But we had a great time. It was, it really put sand in my shoes. Yeah. Made me uh, love travel. So you all both played for arguably the two highest regarded coaches in college basketball history. Coach Hall, you played for Coach Rupp. Coach Crum played for Coach Wooden. Uh, Starting with Coach Crum, what would you say is the the biggest thing that you took away from co playing and then coaching under Coach Wooden, and then you know try to put that towards your team, and then after him, what what would you say as well? Well, there was a number of things. Uh, one, he wasn't a big believer in scouting. He he felt like if if they were going to spend 20 minutes a day or 30 minutes a day uh, working on what the other team was doing. He said we, we could spend that much that much time every day on our shooting or free throwing or, or uh, transition defense or whatever we were going to need to do. And he, that's what his philosophy was. And so that, that was part of the what I took to Louisville with me. Uh, another thing that his ability and his uh, his organizational talents. I mean, he was he was actually an English teacher. Is what he was doing, and he now he coached in Indiana in the state of Indiana at Indiana State. I think it was Teachers College at that time. Uh, and he was, uh, you know, that was where he came from, and that was after the war. Uh, and so he, when he played college basketball, it was for Purdue, and he was a three-time All-American, and uh, he he did things his way, and that he wasn't he didn't worry about the opponents, and we we just. Actually, we just go into the games and we play. And he, the things that he felt like were important, he taught us uh, the fundamentals of the game and how to do things and how not to do things. And, and we just went, you know, through that every time we went to play someone, we we never even had a scouting report on them. Uh, at the end of his career. Uh, he did a, a, a few things, I guess, with 
from the scouting standpoint. And I was already gone at that time. I was already back here at Louisville uh, playing, or playing, yeah, I wish I could. <laughs> but uh, back here coaching, and, and I, uh, I, I loved it. I loved the people here. Their love for basketball was second to none. I mean, I know there's other places that feel like it's that same way, and, and it may be, I don't know. But from my perspective, this was as good a place as any if you wanted to be involved with basketball. Uh, so I ended up just staying here. I ended up 47 years at the university. Uh, and that's a long time at one place. Uh, coached for 30. Uh, and now I'm just trying to remember all those things. <laughs> See if I, 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 I could, Joe remembers, but even at his age, he's 89. Yeah. yeah he, he remembers. I think. <laughs> he remembers the things better than I did. I, I mean, better than I ever did. I, I would, there were certain things that I remembered, but with Joe, it seemed like he remembered everything, and I, that was always, it was fun to do a radio show with him because he always, he, he had the answers. And uh, so we, we had a lot of fun doing that show. We did it ten and a half years, and uh, it was certainly worthwhile for us to do that. and just to go back through all the memories and all the situations and things that you, you, you saw and things that you learned. And I mean, it was, uh, it was a, just a wonderful experience and, and I know Joe felt the same way. So coach, to you now, what, what was the biggest thing that you took from Coach Hall that you kind of said, this is kind of what I want to take from him and, and use it in my coaching? Well, Coach Rupp was, uh, the most competitive, uh, distant coach of any I ever knew. He didn't know your name when you were playing. Are you serious? Oh, he he got confused. He'd say, "Little man," or "Redhead," or "Ashland boy," or something. As he'd yell at you, but. Uh, he was the most competitive, and he brought fast break basketball to our state, which the public loved. He uh, believed in aggressive defense, aggressive offense. Take the ball, get it to the basket, and score with a minimum passes and uh, less mistakes. But uh, he, his practices were organized to the minute. He followed his uh, practice plan daily. And those things I copied from Coach Rupp. I liked the speed up game. I loved his organization. I didn't like his distance from his players. Yeah. He just wasn't social at all. And I imagine Wooden was a little that way too. Those coaches back then didn't take much interest in you 
as an individual. But uh, Coach Rupp, I remember one time my parents were coming to a game and he had never met my parents. <laughs> and uh, we were in front of one of the hotels downtown. I don't remember which one. And he was coming down the sidewalk and I kind of stepped out in front of him. <laughs> I said, Coach, I'd, I said, I'd like you to meet my parents. He didn't even turn his head. He just kept walking. <laughs> he didn't want to know about your problems. I don't think he ever set foot in the dormitory. But uh, many things I learned from Coach Rupp, and I respected him because he was all business, he uh, had the answers. He knew how to develop competition among the squad. And I think that was the main reason. He didn't play many substitutes. So you fought for a position, for an opportunity to play. They, I mean, I feel so some of the best games were our practices. Yeah. And they were physical. I feel like that's a lot of the way you, you speaking on not playing a lot of subs. I feel like that's a lot of the way Cal is now. I feel like Cal has gone more towards that, I guess, older type of coaching style where he he finds his core, you know, five, maybe six to seven uh, guys he, and, and, and plays them. I did that too, and I think. But Coach Rupp, if he played a sub, it was because a starter was in foul trouble or – uh, he was upset with him over a bad defensive <laughs> mistake or took a bad shot or something. But uh, I remember we played Boston College when Cousy was there in the uh, in their arena at Holy Cross. No, at Holy Cross in Boston, not Boston College. And uh, he played eight players. And then we went to New York, played in Madison Square Garden, and there were 12 of us on the squad. We beat St. John's 25 or better points, and he played seven players. <laughs> well, the five of us that didn't get in that game, we were disheartened because me as a sophomore, to play in Madison Square Garden was a dream. Madison Square Garden at that time was a mecca of basketball. And uh, to beat them that bad, and one of the opponents on St. John's team was Al McGuire. And he actually scored, I think, two or three, maybe four points. And I didn't even get into the game. And of course, he yelled that against me. <laughs> but uh, that was Coach Rupp's ability to get such competition in practice. You had to come every day either to defend your position or to make a move to dethrone one of the starters. So both of you all, after you know, you all played for 
Kentucky and then went to Sewanee and Coach Crum played for UCLA. You all both went to smaller schools. Coach Hall, you went to Regis and then Central Missouri. And Coach Crum, you went to uh, L.A. Pierce Junior College before going back to being an assistant under the coaches that you had played for and, and, and uh, coached under. So how, how different was it? At those smaller schools, let's start with Coach Crumley. How different was it at, at uh, Pierce Junior College from, let's just say, from there to being an assistant at UCLA to U of L? Well, the, at Junior College, uh, it it really wasn't. There wasn't many. I mean, you didn't have a, a lot of fans. It was more of a of a players situation than it was uh, for the fans that we, we'd get a couple hundred maybe at a, at a game but not anything like what most of the schools back here at that time uh, draw big crowds and stuff we out there it wasn't that way you know it, it, when UCLA played it and most of their games were Friday and Saturday nights like we no matter where they were playing, they had a full house. But it wasn't like that in the junior college. You played uh, mostly f just for you and the players, and that's the way it was. Uh, and I, that's the way I grew up, uh, playing uh, in my high school, and then, and then in the spring and fall leagues, we played five nights a week, four nights a week played at different gyms. Uh, I had to take my dad's pickup truck and go around and pick everybody up because <laughs> nobody had a driver's license or a car. And uh, we had, I had that responsibility. As Actually, at the end of my 10th grade seat, my coach asked me if I would coach their summer league team. And I says, what, what does that involved and he said well he said nothing that you can't handle I know that for a fact and uh, he was real it, he was very positive to me about that he didn't tell me I had to go find sponsors and get money from them and and pay the officials and do all the get uniforms and all the things that, that went along with the coaching uh, but it was all good experience for me. Uh, I learned a lot about a lot of things, uh, especially dealing with people that players were, uh, well, let's put it this way, they weren't all as congenial as you'd like. <laughs> it, it, I was a t finishing my 10th grade year and I'm coaching juniors and seniors in the spring and summer leagues and stuff and, and uh, I mean there were some testy times uh, that they thought they ought to be in and I had somebody else in there. I mean it was just the way it was and I, I, I just did the best I could and I just ignored them all <laughs> and did it my way. That's all I could do. I didn't know any other way to do it. So that's, that was the difference between UCLA. UCLA was, I mean, we had, we had three times as many basketballs in our practices 
is uh, we had in the junior college, we didn't even have enough basketball to go around. So, I mean, there was all kinds of things different, uh, you know, uniforms. And, uh, our gymnasium, we played in, when I was uh, in coaching there, we, we played, uh, and when I played there, we played in high school gyms around the area. Uh, we didn't even have our own gym to practice or play in, so we we had to wait till I think it was six o'clock at night uh, to go play, go do our practices, and uh, so that was a, certainly a lot different than UCLA. Although UCLA didn't have a gym, they didn't they didn't have Poly Pavilion until '64. I think was the first year they had Poly. But up till then, they played in the men's gym, which was, it was funny, because every time when you'd come in, you'd go downstairs and get your equipment, your t-shirt and your shorts and jocks and socks and all that stuff. Every day you'd get a new clean outfit. Uh, in junior college, you had to take yours home every night and wash it. And <laughs> Get it ready to play. Your budget didn't cover that. Yeah, it, it, so I mean, there was a lot of a lot of things different, but I'm I'm not complaining about any of them. I I learned a lot from all of them. So what did what did you take from Regis in Central Missouri? Well, Regis was a small college NCAA. In the first year, we qualified to play in the national tournament. But our president, Father Ryan, didn't want us to play. And I said, Father, these kids worked hard for that. He said, I know, but we don't want Regis to be on that level with those other schools. We think of ourselves as more a educational goldmine for these kids. And I said, well, what, why don't we go uh, NCAA Division One, and then if we get an invitation to that, would you let us go? And he said, certainly. So I had to upgrade our schedule. I think you had to pay two-thirds of your schedule Division One. So we had to add Oklahoma City, Arizona, Arizona State, CSU, Air Force Academy, uh, Oklahoma State. Uh, we played Xavier, Dayton, Detroit. We played... Uh, so you were traveling around oh, everywhere. we played a tough schedule. But what I found out, it really upgraded our recruiting. Kids would look at our schedule and see the opportunity to play against some of the best teams in the nation. So when we played in Detroit, I recruited a top player out of the city of Detroit the year before. On the idea we are gonna be playing his hometown. When we played in Chicago, I picked a kid out of there, recruited him hard and got him. And uh, the fact that we were playing that kind of schedule attracted that kind of player. 
So we really grew in that respect. While I was there, we built a new gym or field house. We'd been playing in uh, Denver Civic Center that seated about 7,000. We'd have maybe 800 to 1,000 at a game. When we built our own, it was about 3,800. And, uh, and uh, we packed it every night. And uh, that was a big move up for us. So it was a great experience. I, like Denny, learned to tape ankles, do laundry, <laughs> do the training on trips. We couldn't afford to take a trainer. And uh, it was uh, a great experience learning all facets of running a program, handling my budget, I think I had a $300 recruiting budget, which uh, didn't allow you a whole lot. One fly-in by prospect was about all you could have. But I learned to do without. Then when I got to University of Kentucky, I felt like I'd been let free and had all the money I needed to recruit. They had great trainers managers, equipment people, all of the tools to run a program. So that, the background that I had, I wouldn't trade for anything. I even ran the swimming pool at Regis <laughs> and uh, taught all of the kids to swim. I cleaned scum gutters, tested water, did all of those things. So I learned a lot at small college and then not having those responsibilities at Kentucky gave me more time to grow in my coaching. So when you left um, Central Missouri, you came back to Kentucky and you followed Coach Rupp. How, how hard was it following Coach Rupp here? Because, I mean, obviously the, this, the arena is named after him. I mean, there's so much stuff around here that is associated with Coach Rupp. How hard was it following him? Well, it wasn't difficult for me. I had so much respect for him, what he had accomplished. I wanted to learn from him. I wanted to uh, do my job well. I wanted to... Uh, work as hard as I could to maintain a position on the staff. And uh, I loved every minute of it. Coach Rupp was good to me. Even when I left, he helped me find a school that I could play for. He had me scholarships to Xavier and to Duke. And I chose Suwannee because I could leave there on a Saturday, go down, enroll on Friday, and play the first game on Saturday <laughs> without any transfer restriction. And uh, he knew the Swanee coach, paved the way for me, followed me through my career. I set the college scoring record at uh, Sewanee. When I came up to uh, the SEC tournament, he invited me into the locker room. 
Coach Lancaster asked me, he said, why didn't you score like that for us? I said, who guarded me in practice? <laughs> he said, who? I said, Ralph Beard. I said, you didn't score like that in practice. And, uh, but Coach followed me all my life in, uh, at Shepherdsville High School at Regis College. My team defeated Hank Abbas, Oklahoma State, one year, and uh, Coach sent me a telegram, wrote me a note, congratulated me, and I know that that ensured an interest in my coaching, beating Abba, who was a real uh, thorn in Coach's side because he had won couple of NCAAs and was one of the leaders in number of victories. And uh, so it was a step forward in his estimation. And he always treated me really good. He was very respectful to me. And uh, although we had our disagreement, and, uh, but never had a falling out. So I feel like both of you all uh, coming from those coaches kind of had tough, tough, tough task in your own right when you went to your, you know, your homes as coaches. Coach Crum, how how hard was it first for you to convince guys to come and, you know, kind of join something that you were pretty much building? Well, I think I was very lucky because the team I took over at Louisville, my first team. Uh, we had nine seniors on the team, and uh, I didn't know any of them, but just the fact that they were nine seniors on there, their, their leadership qualities and stuff were very good. And we had a couple players there from the local schools at Mayo and Mayo High School and some of the other schools there. We had kids that walked on from a lot of the different schools and so once I got them all out there on the court and watched them play it wasn't that hard to pick out the ones that you thought could help you uh, and it wasn't I, I mean I didn't look out there and see seven or eight All-Americans but I did see some really good athletes and uh, that's kind of what we based our our playing on was the the athletes that we were able to get out of the south we could go almost anywhere in the south and and find kids that wanted to be basketball players but had an assistant football coach coaching them and during the winter and they never really had that much opportunity to to get a whole lot better, but you could watch them play and and, and you could tell that uh, they were good enough athletes that if they could, you could teach them a few of the fundamentals that uh, you could end up having, you know, some pretty good players. And that's what we based ours on. And it wasn't that difficult because we, we did have, fortunately, a, a number of good players from Louisville that uh, helped us. Um, and when you get one or two, then you got the younger ones coming up that are 
that want to go play where their older person that they looked looked up to, and it it just it just wasn't that difficult. Uh, it wasn't like recruiting to UCLA because everybody knew who they were at that time. But we did have some some real good players and ended up with, uh, you know, some kids like Daryl Griffith and uh, Stanley and, and, and uh, the Button brothers. Uh, we had uh, guys like, uh, oh, I, you know, I take Henry Bacon, and he was a great athlete. Uh, I made a big guard out of him, and uh, we liked to post up our big guards. Uh, thought we had a big, pretty good advantage there. So, but there were a lot of good local kids, and then we recruited Southern Indiana and, and uh, a lot of places during the South. We got Purvis Ellison out of. North Carolina. Uh, I mean, you just had to be selective, and and we did. Uh, we did. I thought did a good job with that. And Coach Hall, how how hard was it convincing guys to come and play at Kentucky still with it not being Coach Rupp, or was it? Did that make it easier just to say, hey, I had this University of Kentucky name on? You know, you can come and play for this brand name. It was uh, both extremes. Mm -hmm. It was you were extremely fortunate that you were going into a program that had a strong base, a great fan support, much success, fame. Everybody connected Kentucky to collegiate basketball. Coach Rupp had. Uh, been a very famous coach. His system was uh, copied by many colleges and high schools. So there was great respect and recognition of Kentucky basketball. That was a big plus. The expectations were a minus. <laughs> the expectations were unreal. You were expected to win not only the SEC every year, but go to the Final Four, win the national championship. It had, uh, it, the program had slowed down a little bit when I took over. I think uh, things hadn't been as successful as they had been in Coach's earlier career or throughout his career. But, uh, the last few years, when I came and became assistant, we won six SEC championships. So we were on a real run. And then when I became coach, I'm sure that the other conference coaches licked their chops and said, well, now we'll, we'll be the big dogs in this championship in this conference. So the first year I coached, we won the conference. <laughs> and that gave me a big boost. 
Yeah. But uh, to to follow a coach like Coach Rupp and the expectations, I'm sure there was an underlying feeling among the fans that didn't want me to have great success or it would have been damaging Coach Rupp's uh, image. And uh, I never tried to eliminate or erase his shadow over the program. I felt like it was his. I had to do the best I could to keep it going and uh, not let it falter. But uh, out of respect for Coach Rupp, I didn't mind the criticism and the heat that I took, but uh, I loved every minute of it. So uh, now, I mean, I guess especially with the uh, with the FBI stuff everywhere, I heard you guys talking about that in there, and I heard one of them make a joke towards Denny about how uh, how he left the re- that recording thing in there because or that someone asked for Denny as a character witness and stuff like that. I, with all that stuff happening in recruiting, how different do you think recruiting is now in compared to when you guys were, you know, just getting started and when you guys were doing it? I think there was always some underhanded attempts in recruiting, but not like they are today yeah. with the shoe companies and the big money that's out there. But... Uh, there was no way to control everything that happened in your program as far as recruiting is concerned. Sometimes uh, overzealous alumnus would uh, befriend a kid and maybe do something for him, but it wasn't as extensive as it is today with the $100,000 payoffs and the shoe company and outside interest. That's something that's going to be very difficult to control in the future because there's not a law against it and the shoe companies certainly are not obliged to maintain the uh, regulations that the NCAA insists on. So theirs is purely business, trying to get the best athletes to wear their shoe. So that's an opportunity that a family has, an individual player has, to build a new home for his parents. Yeah. So that's, I don't know how that's gonna turn out because those kids have a right to use whatever they have to, to make money. And uh, if it's outside of the NCAA for the shoe companies to do it, then it is illegal for the athlete to take money to encourage them to go to a certain school. But it's not the school doing it. It's the shoe companies wanting to make sure they go to a school that uh, endorses their product and would be willing to wear their shoe. So it's a, I tell you, it's a tough dealing with uh, this problem. I'd agree, it's, 
it, when you get a third party involved, it's not just or fourth, whatever. It's not just the high school coach and and your parents uh, helping you make decision on where you're going to go. It it's those, but it's it's Uncle Fred and and uh, Jimmy John, the kid that lives next door. And, I mean, everybody uh, is trying to help you make your decision so that you'll do what they want to be able to watch and see. And it, it's, uh, it, it, it's just too many, there's so many people involved, shoe companies and AAU teams and all the different things that are going on today that, that it does make it, I think, the recruiting a whole lot tougher and harder to keep track of and keep your finger on so that it doesn't get out of control and it can do that real easy when you got so many different factions trying to be involved and influential and make help the kid make the decision that'll make you happy. And the financial opportunities a lot different. Oh, a whole lot. I mean, it's, a lot uh, there's some big dollars involved and pro opportunities. Yeah. And all those things. And a lot of these kids that's, that, I mean, that you all even recruited back then and are now to, are coming from nothing. So it's hard for some of these kids to say no to that stuff because they don't have anything. And well, these, when you're going into something like that, and it's like, well, like you said, I can build my parents a house and I can go and play on TV and then I can go and play in the pros. It is hard to say no to that type of stuff. Well, now you got kids... Uh, trying to make a name for themselves by AU ball more than high school. And then you've got uh, summer leagues and travel teams and all of this stuff that a kid builds his reputation through that's not involved in high school. So it's a whole different world out How big now. was AAU when you all were coaching? Nothing. Nothing. It, uh, well, it, it was. It there was some AAU, but it wasn't anything like it there is was. Today. Garfinkel's camp. Yeah, BC camp there that attracted great players, and and if you had those opportunities to go to those, you had good exposure. But uh, nowadays, boy, it's. Uh, the the money the difference in what pro players make a kid that signs a hundred and fifty seven million dollar five-year contract in the pros compared to cliff hagan and those guys making twelve thousand a year and it's a it's a different world. Well, I mean, just think of it like this: you just said you had a three hundred. Again, it was a smaller school. You said you had a three hundred dollar recruiting, uh, three hundred dollar for recruiting. That's it, think about that now. Like you can't even get a flight now for three hundred dollars. I could fly one kid in for a weekend and uh, put him up in the hotel. I usually put him up in the dorm, <laughs> but that was a mistake. But uh, in a small college, a night out for dinner, and that about did the three under. I, the I flight was half of it right there. So you, 
Coach Crum started in 71 at Louisville. You started in 72, but you all didn't play each other. How much, but how much attention did you all pay attention to each other before it, you all did start playing? A lot. I mean, then he <laughs> compared his recruiting year to mine, and uh, all of those things were really important. He was fighting for fan support and selling his program, and I was fighting for mine. And uh, but we didn't fight each other. That was a big thing. We fought for our program, and uh, there was a lot of attention on us meeting and play. And we had some of those opportunities that didn't work out. And then finally we met in the tournament. And then we found out that it was gonna be a good thing. And it turned out to be one of the best rivalries that each of us could have. May us work harder, put more pressure on us. Yeah. And that game became a, a real important game in the success of your year. So you did just mention that you all were close to playing. How how close did that get to happening before you all played in 83? Well, we played a game in the first round of the NCAA. I forget which year it was. And uh, we lost to Middle Tennessee State, which we shouldn't have done. And had we won, we would have met Louisville that next game. And in 75, you almost played too, correct? Well, in uh, 76, we both played in the NIT. Louisville lost to Providence. Our, if they had won that game, we would have played them in the NIT. Then in the NCAA in 75, if they'd beaten the NCAA, UCLA, two Kentucky schools would have met in the national finals, which would have been great. Yeah. But uh, I think the prospects of that coming close to happening resulted in us playing regular basis. So, because really, both teams were near equal. And uh, his would be a little better one year than mine. Mine would be a little better than his another year. But playing was something the public really wanted. What, so what was keeping it from happening? Well, uh, we had a policy at Kentucky to fight off pressure from Eastern, Western, Moorhead, those schools. Coach Rupp initiated a policy that he would never play in the in-state school. It didn't become a written policy, but we would never play any of them. Just kind of like an unspoken ex rule, I guess. Yeah, except in NCAA playoff. And then, uh, when we, when those powers that be saw the prospect of the rivalry being really helpful to both schools, they, uh, the actual the administrator 
insisted that we play. So going into the the dream game is what it was called in 1983. You all had both already coached and won a championship. You had already played in Final Fours. You had already coached in Final Fours. Starting with Coach Crumb, did you feel an extra pressure playing and coaching in that game because it was like what Coach Hall was just talking about, a rivalry that everyone had wanted for a long time? And I know you had been on record wanting to play them as well. And Did you feel any extra pressure or added pressure in that game? I don't think it was added pressure. I, I think it there was pressure on no matter who you played, but when you play your rival, there's going to be always be a little added incentive and pressure and that you'd get more calls from the media doing you know wanting answers to different things and but I, I don't really feel like it was more pressure by the time you got towards the end of the season and you've been through it all before and and uh, I, I don't think you really thought much about the pressure we probably put more pressure on ourselves trying to, to do be the best we could be it, it, it more so than anyone else could have from the outside could have put pressure on us and i think we we handled it all good uh, and we knew that going into that game with kentucky and knoxville that that it was going to be a tough game and it came right down to the wire went into overtime i mean you don't get much closer than that <laughs> coach Alwood, did you feel any yeah, added pressure absolutely <laughs> the pressure had been on to schedule Louisville, and uh, i think both administrations boards of trustees wanted it and the public definitely wanted it. But uh, it was an unopportune time for me to play at that time. I just lost Sam Bowie with a broken leg that season. I had, uh, I think you were seven point overdog. We were a seven point underdog, which is what you won by. I, I didn't. Point. I didn't know that. Yeah, and uh, it was uh, really a pressure game for me, facing level the first time. I wish we had played other times before that one, but uh, it's the way the chips fall, and uh, they certainly had a team that was no shame to lose to. Losing to one of Danny's team was never a bad thing because they were always competitive. And, and whenever we won, it was uh, probably because they year we had a better team. And uh, the rivalry was great. And we were so close in our recruiting and uh, then our games were always could go either way, I think, every year. What did we play, eight times? In I have no idea. So 80, you played in 83, and then the rivalry started that next season. I so think we played eight times and split four and four. Is that right? I, you got me. I, have, I don't remember <laughs> all the details. 
scale to those kind of things. Like so, you four times and split. Split four, you split four times. Played four times and split two and two? Yeah. Is that all there you, you go. Yeah. You, you beat him the first time and the last time. He beat you the two in between in, uh, in the 83-84 uh, season. You, the regular season and the tournament at Rupp. And then your last season you lost to Denny. So you're yeah. two and two and four. Uh, so after we each won one regular season game and one tournament game. <laughs> wow. So after after that game, I mean, you just spoke about it. Um, that I mean, I guess the the public had seen, I guess, from that point, that just how great that was. So it was just, I guess, it was just like, well, I guess we're just gonna play this every year now. Is that pretty much how it went? I think. Uh, yeah, I think that was a deciding factor. That yeah, first everybody turn. wanted to see the yeah. game, wanted to see us play every year. I think most of it, it was, it was just one of those things that that they had a policy. They changed. They had would have to change their policy, and uh, their administration said. We'll change our policy, and, and our administrator said we will play them every year. And, I mean, it just worked out that way. It was it was good for both schools. Uh, so after that, you you played like you said you played four times. You split, and you actually retired at what some people would consider a young age at fifty-seven. And. Uh, 56. Oh, it was 56. I'm sorry. I apologize. At, at 56 in 1985, what what made you retire at such a young age, especially after you had just really started the rivalry with, with Coach Crum? The main reason was uh, wanting to live a regular life. Basketball at that level dominates you and you, your life with your family with your social life, friends. You're so uh, pinpointed on your thinking. I didn't uh, have time to live a normal life, get up like a regular guy did and go to an office, I didn't spend even, a day and yeah, go home. I didn't home even and, know there was a different life. I yeah, I didn't know. coaching all the way up till there. Yeah, but I, I truly, I told my wife, I said, when I got in, I said, I'll go like 55, and then we'll live like regular people. And I stayed one extra year. But uh, I didn't want to be an old coach, and I saw Coach Rupp actually go too long. 70 was too long in my estimation in his in his physical condition now someone that was in good health and strong and could stand that 70 wouldn't be that bad but I saw Coach Rupp his health really go down and I didn't want to be like that and I'm glad because I enjoyed finding out what a banker's life was <laughs> and these hours, getting out and playing a little golf in the afternoon, going out to eat with your family, 
and uh, my kids were at an age that they were really involved in their schools and athletics, sports, dating, all of those things, and I could be a real father for a change. I think that those years that I coached, so much depended on my wife and how she managed things. And uh, I was thankful I had a good wife, but I didn't want her to live her life that way either. So starting with Coach Crum here, I, I'm sure you guys still watch some basketball. What, what would you say is the biggest difference in the game now from when you guys were coaching? I think it probably revolves around the recruiting, all the AAU tournaments and travel and the amount of money involved with all that. And uh, it, that was, if I watched the game today, it's not, the game itself isn't a whole lot different, I don't think. There are certain things that are individual things that are different, maybe. Uh, but the, I think the biggest difference is in the recruiting. It just seems to work out that way. I, I, I think the game has changed. I don't think I could coach today <laughs> because the dribble drive and the the uh, lack of, of uh, patterns and running plays seem like it's gone. It's more spread the floor, pick and roll, find the open man, and just keep doing those things, trying to penetrate, beat you man one-on-one. -on -one. Everybody does, seems to do the same thing. Yeah, every game. But every game we used to play, we'd have different plays than the opponents would. I mean, it was totally different. Now it's not that way. Uh, everybody no. uses the same high post pick and roll and uh, all that stuff. Uh, Spread the floor, try to beat your man one on one. <laughs> Drive, make somebody pick you up, kick it off. But uh, the game is, uh, I think the athletes are better. They're more athletic. More of them. They uh, are more advanced in fundamentals than when we got them. We had to teach fundamentals. We had to teach how to pivot. It, when you to, got them in college, you was had to teach that? Oh, gosh, sure, yeah. absolutely. You, oh, had, wow. uh, you had fundamental drills. I, yeah, I spent, we spent an hour every day working on fundamentals just with drills, drills, and drills because you you got guys that were good athletes. They maybe could run and jump, but they they didn't have a clue what a pivot was or, <laughs> or how a two-footed jump stop works or why. I mean, it, it it's just it, that part of the game, you know, has changed a lot. I, Joe's right on that. So, coach, but I I'm a fan of the game. Yeah, I love watching. High school and college, I don't particularly enjoy the pro game. But high school, I love. 
football and basketball. In college, I like football and basketball equally. Well, you got a, this is a good year for you to like bat football, oh, isn't it? Oh, yeah. Not so much on our side. It's, well, but, I, I mean, watch Louisville, too. I've got a son-in-law that coaches at Louisville. It's the second term in coaching the offensive line at Louisville, Mike Summer. And uh, so I'm a big fan of Louisville. And uh, Jackson, uh, Lamar Jackson, was a pleasure to watch. Well, we are. I, before you leave, I would like to at least let you know that you're that you're here. We have. Uh, I got a chance to eat lunch hey. with 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 both I, these guys. I got me got my house. Uh, I'm we have uh, Oscar Combs was here. Oscar, nice, nice to be with you. Enjoyed it, it very much. Yes, it was great to meet you. I didn't want to get you out of here at least not say something to you. But nice uh, see you. good to see you again, Coach Oscar. Let's, let's get you back up here. Get you back up. I'll here. be back. All right, Oscar, been yes. a pleasure. Been a pleasure. So Coach Crum kind of went through this, I guess, within the past couple of years, and still with us being mentioned in the in the FBI stuff. What was it like a couple of years after you retired to see, or how tough was it to see what the university was going through a couple of years after you left? Well, it was uh, really uh, something that my position and what was going on was certainly not relevant. So I was out of the mix so much that uh, I didn't understand the real uh, problem as it uh, there was some question as to who was responsible and who wasn't and I really couldn't get into it personally enough to uh, be a part of finding out the facts. And it was, uh, it was disheartening to see the university go through those measures and problems, but uh, I think it was uh, maybe overplayed a little more than it really was, but it certainly, I appreciate the way the university took hold of it, the administration, and got things straightened out and reaffirmed what they expected from a program. And, and uh, we certainly didn't want basketball, the high standards it operated under for so many years to go through that type of problem. And, uh, it uh, was something that you never want to see again. And I think the administration and the athletic department itself works hard to prevent that type of uh, problems arising in the future. So starting here with Coach Crum, because you actually, there's now a, a more recent head coach at Louisville now with, with Coach Chris Mack. And I'll, I'll send it to you after that. Coach, if, if you could give him any advice on how to handle, not how to handle his team, but how to handle everything here, what, what kind of advice would you give him? You know, I, I'm not sure that there's anything I could say to, to Chris that uh, he doesn't already know. I mean, when you're looking at a job 
and you you're trying to figure out whether you're going to take this job or not you want there's all kinds of things you want to know and I'm sure he asks all the right questions to all the right people and, and uh, I don't I doubt that there's much I could tell him uh, I mean I could help him with if he wanted to run a couple of different plays than what you see today or something <laughs> I, I could do that but when it comes to you know his recruiting and all the other things he's much more up on that than uh, than I am uh, in fact I'm not involved at all in any of that kind of stuff and, and the problems that the university's been going through they're in the process of getting all that stuff straightened out and, and they've gotten rid of some people and they've added some people and, and uh, it's it's always Things are going to keep keep changing. They'll get it all back together and be competitive again. Uh, if they get that opportunity, I hope they do. And when Coach Cal came here, I mean, did you did you give him any advice? What did, what did you tell him? <laughs> well, he jokes about it, but I he asked me. He said, "How long can a coach stand this pressure at Kentucky?" I said, you'll probably be hunting for another job in about 10 years. <laughs> and, uh, and he laughed. But uh, the pressure that a coach goes through, and uh, I think Cal is one that can handle it. I'd see him staying here until he, he himself will make the decision. He is such a good coach. He's a great marketer. He uh, keeps the program in front of the public with uh, his involvement with radio and television and the media. And uh, he's such a good person that he can stay here as long as he wants to. And that uh, I think there's no place that he could go that would be a step up in my estimation. I think Kentucky is one of the few premier jobs in college coaching, football or basketball. There, there may be a handful in football and maybe a few more than that in basketball, but it is one of the best coaching jobs in the world. I don't think he, he could find somebody he liked any better and was appreciated any more than he is for the job he's done and is doing here to Kentucky. So, last question here. I, I just had, I always wondered this because you always see the, the video that went around way back in the day when the dream game was about to happen. And it seemed like at that point, you guys weren't real big fans of each other. Now, I mean, I rode here with, or I, I drove myself and Coach Crum here, and we met you for lunch, and you guys are great friends. How did your all's friendship come about? I remember when I first met Denny, I was an assistant at Kentucky, and Denny was coming up to Lexington to address the high school. Um, 
conference or some coaches convention or something and he was looking for where to go and so I saw him outside and took him in and took him to where the meeting was and uh, I knew right then that Denny was a good guy and uh, never changed that all through coaching. We were the daggondest rivals you could ever see even before we start playing but there was never a time that we met that we didn't have a mutual love to talk about hunting and fishing mainly fishing I remember I'd meet Danny and he'd say you gotta come out to Idaho with me he'd say they're the biggest trout you ever saw out there and I'd say well one of these days you'll come with me up the Lake of the Woods and we'll get small mountain. But uh, we always had a good fish story to share. And I don't think that I ever met anyone like Denny that I was a, that big a rival was that I got along as well with. And uh, there was never anything between Denny and I. I mean, we may make statements to the press that the fans expected out of us but there was never any any animosity that I ever sensed through Denny about me or me about Denny. Agreed 100%. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Coach, when did you got any good stories about him when you guys have gone fishing? I'd like to hear a couple fishing stories. I'll tell you, the last time we went fishing, it was at, on, in one of the ponds out on one of the horse ranches that we didn't, neither one of us, catch a single fish. Was that that uh, fishing show we did? Yeah. I, yeah, we caught a little well, bass about that. Yeah, about, about as, eight as far inches. as I'm concerned, that seven, eight inch trout or bass wasn't. Wasn't even a fish. That wasn't fishing. <laughs> <laughs> no, but we, I mean, we, we, the, the hard part about it is, is that, that uh, Joe got, when he got out of coaching, he got right into banking and he was gone a lot and I, I was still coaching and recruiting and I had, you know, so many things going on in my life and I, I was looking for another place to hunt deer and another place to, to go fish and stuff and before I ever got involved in my Idaho place but Joe and I I don't think we ever had a crossword with either, each other right we got along great and had a world of respect and, and uh, we did a radio show together I don't know anybody. I remember that Danny uh, when uh, Dick Robinson and I were sitting at a table having lunch and he wrote on the na napkin while I was doing a radio show with Sonny and Wimp in Alabama and uh, he wrote Joe B and Danny show well I uh, contacted Jim Holtz I said what about this he said that's a gold mine it's a sure deal he says go talk to Danny I went talk to Danny I tried to sell him on it. 
in five minutes, Dan said, I'm in. <laughs> and we started the Joe B. and Dan show. I, I told him. It was the most pleasant, greatest thing I ever did. I loved every minute of it. I told him that I was extremely sad when your whenever your show ended. Oh, he hated. Because I what so I was everyone else. Yeah. Because what I, I had a job at that time where I drove around and delivered medical equipment. <laughs> so I would be in my van all the time, and I would be able to listen to different stuff on the radio. And I told him I had a set schedule. It was boom, boom, boom. I'd go from one show to the next, to the yeah. next, to the next. And your also was always on there, <laughs> always. So that week when you all came on there and said that. You know, you all were done in two weeks. I said, I don't know what I'm going to listen to now. <laughs> like, this is a staple to my day every day. Yeah. And I used to just love listening to you all because it would be so funny because you all would just talk about things. And you would just go. It wouldn't even have to be about anything going on, and it would still keep my interest. Well, I'd be in front of a crowd, and almost always somebody would say, oh, I miss y'all's show. Oh, and I, I'd be I walking, in, walking into a theater and the guy would say, boy, I really miss your and Danny's show. I bet I've had hundreds of people tell me that. Me too. Well, I'll, I'll make it 101 then because <laughs> I, I loved that show. It was, it was literally a staple of my day. And, I mean, to have something like this, I mean, I saw that picture and it was just like, I mean, this is crazy for me to still think about, and you know, we're at the end of it. But I'm sitting here. I'll, 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 I'll tell you guys. I'll give myself away. So when I was sitting in there, and I'm texting my buddy, and I'm like, hey, I'm sitting here eating lunch with Coach Crum, Coach Hall, and Oscar Combs. <laughs> and I, I'll be honest, as a Louisville fan, I had no idea what Oscar Combs looked like. So when he introduced himself to me. I don't know if you heard me, but I literally said, "Oh my gosh," because <laughs> I didn't I didn't know what he what he necessarily looked like. So, guys, thank you so much. I, I've I consider Denny a friend. I hope I hope he feels the same way, and I now I feel like I have a friend in you too, Coach thank Hall. Thank you, thank and, you, Brandon. You know, I I appreciate this so much. I I had a good time. I hope you guys did. did I mean, just well, sitting and eating lunch and listening to the stories. I'll and, tell you right now, I don't have a better friend. And Denny Crum, and I've got some really great friends that are longtime friends, but we spent a lot of time together, and that friendship grew every time I was with him. And I think he's one of the best friends I've ever had. And um, as a lifetime Louisville fan, I mean that just hearing from that show. Uh, it, it grew my respect. I had already met Coach Crum at that point when I was younger, so I already knew what type of guy he was. But hearing that show, it, it made me re respect you immensely. And even as a, even as a former Kentucky coach, it, it, it made me uh, – you guys just both seem like regular guys and are not – it seems to me like you guys don't consider yourself better than anyone. So – Thank you, thank you guys so much for doing this. Uh, Our I, pleasure, Brandon. We're happy to have been part of what you're doing here on this podcast. And uh, it, if for no other reason, it gives me a chance to come down here to Lexington, have lunch with Joe, and and uh, and just be him. He's just he's he's one of my best friends, and and I I, I couldn't 
speak higher of anybody that I know than Joe. Thank you, Danny. <laughs> well, guys, um, hopefully you guys enjoyed that episode. I, I enjoyed doing it. Well, we always love talking. Yeah. Brandon. Sorry my voice wasn't up to par. I've had a little throat pressure here lately. But uh, I thank you for including me, even if it's your 79th podcast. <laughs> even 59th. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I, I I never would have thought that whenever I started this, uh, I started it in my buddy's kitchen, uh, not even a year ago. It'll be a year exactly a month from today. I never would have thought I, I would have had I would have been able to been sitting at a table in Lexington with two Hall of Fame coaches and to me Hall of Fame guys, not just coaches, just listening to your all stories and and getting a chance to record it and put my name with it. You know what I mean? I mean, I texted some people before I, I came to pick up Denny, and I was just like, I'm driving to Denny Crumb's house to pick up Denny Crumb to go to Lexington to eat lunch with Joby Hall. Do you realize how crazy that feels to text that? Because <laughs> I, I told him, it was, this was pretty funny, I had a T-shirt that was passed down from all of my brothers. I have seven brothers, and it was passed down from our whole family, and it had a kid with an oversized jersey on. And it said, hold on, Denny, I'm growing as fast as I can. He had a big old basketball and stuff. And I, I, I always, every time I see Coach Crum, I always think of that shirt. Just because that's just what I remember. And he was the coach that I remember, like, when I became a fan. And to be able to see that, and then I, it's, it's still just crazy to me. So it's, it's, I'm having a lot of fun with it, and I thank you for, for giving me those kind words as well. So. Well, guys, I hope hopefully you guys enjoyed that episode. Uh, I've had a lot of fun doing this with them. Uh, I'll put this out. Uh, I'll tell you guys I'll put this out tomorrow uh, because I, I don't, when I have an episode like this, I like to put it out to where people are going to see that I'm doing it and then be able to see it. So uh, it'll be out by this time at least tomorrow. So, uh, guys, hopefully you liked this episode. I had a blast doing it. Like it, share it, do everything you can for me, and uh, have a good one, guys.